Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. Those who have lost loved ones, this is what I know. They're never truly gone. They'll always be part of your heart. I know this as well, and it seems unbelievable, but I promise you, the day will come when the memory of the loved one you lost will bring a smile to your lips before a tear to your eye. It will come, I promise you. My prayer for you, though, is that they will come sooner rather than later. And that's when you know you're going to be okay. That was our 46th president, Joe Biden, speaking at the remembrance uh, last night, uh, marking 500,000 dead Americans from COVID, uh, a number that is staggering. I think something we've gotten all too used to, but uh, it is the size of a medium-sized city wiped off the map uh, of the United States because of this terrible pandemic. Murphy, kind of a downer, but uh, kind of a downer to bring you in on. Yeah, well, it is a grim thing. It's almost 10 times the casualty of the Vietnam War, um, casualty level. So yes, this has been a indeed a dark winter. And uh, I was happy to read in the newspaper today. And I give the Biden guys credit for already showing a lot more competence than we saw Donald Trump that the pharmaceutical industry is dramatically ramping up production. Pfizer, I'm proud of that. That Pfizer plant, the main one is in my home state of Michigan. And I remember back when I was working for Governor Angler, we really worked hard to bring Pfizer into Michigan. Anyway, they're ramping up production as is Moderna. The J&J vaccine is coming. So there is light at the end of the tunnel, but what a terrible, dark, awful tunnel it has been. And, uh, it's in addition to that milestone, which I have to give President Biden more credit for. He handled it like a president, which was a refreshing change. Um, we had quite a week in Washington, a ton to talk about. And that's why we, we, we went to a super guest, a legendary Democratic hack. Robert, why don't you introduce him? Yeah, we have with us the executive director of Protect Our Care, a newly announced senior advisor at the Democratic National Committee, Brad Woodhouse. Welcome, Brad. Robert, thank you. And Mike, thank you. I'm thrilled to be on Hacks on Tap. I didn't know if I should be consuming some alcohol, but it's... <laughs> That's all just in the pictures. We, I've okay. done this show. Come on, I don't it's know how not many 10 a.m. yet. That's yeah. when we yeah, start. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe we should record this in the evening. But yeah, yeah, we true. should. We should. I will say, um, Brad and I, um, in 1997... Um, Worked in a small room for uh, a, a freshman congressman from North Carolina named Bob Etheridge. Uh, and, and by the time this podcast is over, you're going to wonder, how did two loud Southerners who don't stop talking sit in the same room and work? And just to be clear, they were like three other people. So poor yeah, Zeke and Pat yeah. had to uh, absorb all that. But uh, I've known Brad for a long time. We're excited to have Brad on. You know, Murphy, as you talked about, we've got an interesting week here. We've got... You know, we start with these bookends of COVID, uh, and and we're going to end the week. And I know we'll get to it in a bit. Uh, uh, the reemergence of our former president at uh, at CPAC. But uh, I, I'm I, have you been to Can Cancun Coon lately, Mike? Has I, I hear it's yeah, wonderful. Yeah, you know, whenever whenever there's trouble, 
in in the spirit of the great uh, fraudster Robert Vesco, I always have a flight plan to South America in my back pocket. So all I need to do is get to an airport and get over the American border and wor- worry about uh, what's going on yesterday. Yeah, of all the incredible things, this one is a bell ringer. Texas is in a crisis, not only a regular everyday crisis, but a crisis brought on a bit by the sort of policy stuff Cruz has always fought for. And we all know from staff and politicians, when one of these things happen, you basically have, have two things you ought to be doing. One, you ought to be politically out showing empathy. Beto O'Rourke is doing a master class in that. And two, you're kind of the chief caseworker. You know, you're calling the governor's staff. You're calling the other people. You're leaning on everybody you need to lean on in Washington to help get those creaky gears to move. Instead... <laughs> he put on the Hawaiian shirt, got the Mai Tai menu, and took off for Cancun. It is unbelievable. Then he got caught, as we all know. Then he lied about it. Then he tried to make it about his kids. So, And then, in a podcast, I guess, last night or this morning, he said his wife's really mad. People just shouldn't be assholes. And I can tell you there are 99 <laughs> U.S. senators on a bipartisan <laughs> basis right now laughing, splitting a gut over that quote from, from uh, Ted Cruz, who is famous famous for being even lindsey graham once said you could beat him to death on the senate floor hypothetically of course and nobody in the senate if that's where the trial would would vote to convict him so yes it is it couldn't be couldn't be more ironic and i we should say governor abbott down there is also in trouble in the great tradition of of elected leadership uh, in a crisis not rising to the occasion so there could be political consequences for both of them Brad, you and I have spent a decent part of our professional lives as political staffers. If if you had been on Ted Cruz's staff and heard um, that uh, the, there was a movement of the principal from his house to intercontinental uh, inter, inter, intercontinental airport in Houston to go to Cancun, <laughs> what, what would you have done? Well, I, I would have gone to the airport and laid down in front of the car. I mean, because it, it, it's probably the end of a lot of people's political careers, the people that work for him. You know, I mean, they, he obviously has a term that lasts for three and a half, uh, you know, three and a half more years. But it was just just political suicide. You know, Robert, you and I were working together when we saw the opposite of this type of thing. I mean, politicians can either thrive or they can fail in these, uh, you know, in these disaster moments. We saw Jim Hunt, uh, you know, one hurricane disaster, you know, after another. We've seen, we saw Jeb Bush years ago in Florida and the way he handled uh, handled disasters. And then you go to the other end and you look at the way Abbott, you know, the attorney general there was, you know, was skiing in Utah and Cruz escaping uh, to Cancun. And it's the, it, you know, look, we've been close in Texas with Beto, less close than, uh, than I think we thought we would be in 2020, but there's got to be a tipping point at some point. The demographics are right there. There's a lot of excitement and this, you know, this could, this could be the undoing for Republicans in Texas. And Murphy, you you know, I think you've got a really good point here because there's one thing about a natural disaster, right? It is a, it is, it is not a man-made thing, right? You cannot, um, as much as we might try and having sitting in Chicago with two feet of snow on the ground, I'd love to be able to somehow change the weather. Um, but y- you know, th- the weather simply was the activator for a policy breakdown that Cruz Abbott and a bunch of other Republicans brought to Texas as a way of getting around federal regulation of power. 
Yeah, you look, I'm I'm pretty pro dereg, but when and it's worked pretty well until now. So when you have a big systemic failure of something you were a champion of, you double down and go try to be part of the solution because you believe the fundamental idea is right. You don't, you know, slip on the uh, sandals and, and, and head to the tiki bar. You know, so <laughs> it just was wrong. And the reason it's even worse for, for Cruz is Cruz has always succeeded by having some ideological connection to the red state of Texas. But he's always had, you know, a, a drag on him, headwinds based on personality. So when the race is about what kind of person is Ted Cruz, he doesn't do so well. When the race is about are you for a liberal or a conservative, he does better. Well, now he has tripled down on the personality defect part of it, and it is so easy to understand and so flashy, it's going to be hard for him to shake this thing. It really kind of defined who the guy is. And that, as you guys know from a zillion campaigns we've all been in, once you've got that tattoo on your face of jerk, you know, even if you get the surgery, there's still this faint jerk thing on your forehead. It just really doesn't go away. <laughs> I can tell you my phone rang, and, you know, I'm not really even doing many any races these days. I've, I've turned into a Hollywood guy and a corporate uh, guy. But I got a call about a, a pretty well-known name looking at maybe polling on a primary. So you know that those lights are both in the Republican Party, where he's not popular in the internal world, and uh, Dems thinking, hmm. Maybe with the changing demography and his flaws as a candidate, we can take a real run at. So, yeah. Yeah, he's got a few more years uh, to, to be able to weather this, but I agree with you, uh, no pun intended. Uh, to, <laughs> you know, he, he's got um, – the demographics are going to continue to change in that state. Uh, and, and, look, I, I was there in 2002, and we thought we might be at that tipping point, and we, we, we aren't even now past 2020. I will say the one thing that really stuck with me, and I bet it stuck with a lot of people in Texas too, was – making this really about something his daughters wanted to do. And just yeah. just so our listeners yeah. are clear, even if you don't have kids, if your 10-year-old and your 11-year-old want to do something, like, say, travel from Houston to Mexico, something that you can't do by yourself if you're 10 or 11, once you decide as their parent that you're going to allow them to do that, that actually becomes your decision. It's not their decision. Okay. So you, they, they can't get through Houston's international airport and through customs without an adult. Right. So th- this idea that somehow this was, th- this really drove me crazy. But I, yeah. I'm like you, Brad, I, I'm stunned. At what point do you walk through an airport as busy as that and think you're going to get on a commercial airline? Right. And get away with it. And, and fly to Cancun in the middle of all this. I mean, well, and, and by the way, and, and, and to be accompanied by police officers that, <laughs> right. were, pull, that were pulled off. And I, I guess this is because oh. since Ted Cruz inspired, you know, partly inspired the insurrection at the Capitol, he's been probably getting death threats. So he, he gets, as a rank and file member, not many do, he gets a little security escort. But I mean, you know, the police and all public officials in uh, in Texas, we're dealing with this disaster. And so they're pulled off the beat to escort him to the airport. Um, and of course, we know this whole thing about the kids turned out to be a lie anyway, because the right. group chat, uh, it was all about um, his wife and him wanting to escape a cold house. Good for them. Everybody wanted to escape a cold house. But, <laughs> but, but shit, this man's got responsibilities as United States Senator. You know, and I, I'm a longtime cruise critic, but 
I'd even give him, I'd say politically clumsy, because he would have gotten some heat for it, but it would be much smaller. But if Heidi wanted to grab the kids and go to Cancun because there's no heat in the house, okay. Right. But you're the senator. you got a job, you know? Let's remember, I don't think Abbott's out of the woods here. No, I agree. Um, yeah, I agree. You know, that, and so, is, um, in some ways, that could be bigger, because in yeah. the Senate race, you can go to R versus D national politics. Yeah. Yeah. In the governor race, you're always somewhat measured by competence, and he's now got a big dent uh, in, in his public image, and it, it's not over yet. You're seeing all these stories of people getting handed energy bills of, of ten dollars and $15,000 for the ones that were lucky enough not to have their power go off. They just paid tens of thousands of dollars to keep their house warm for those three or four days. So, um, you, you know, you all um, can't see this, but um, Murphy, the reason I asked Murphy about Cancun is it looks like he's braided his hair like he's been in Cancun. So, so I just I wanted to bring that <laughs> no, up for finally, people who can't see Murphy. After the third person came up to me and asked if I'm still managing Spinal Tap, I, uh, I finally got a damn my COVID hair clipped. I, I never had my uh, had a haircut done wearing a spacesuit before. It was logistically tricky, but uh, I've now got the buzz cut. And Robert, I know you dig it. Uh, I, so uh, look, my hair looks like I'm back at NC State playing soccer. So I'm I'm, I'm I need to borrow your space. They could use you. I know. They could use you. So uh, uh, so let's go back to the ranch in D.C. because we had another little Senate travail. And I'm fascinated. You guys are deep in Dem world, so you might be able to unravel this for me. But here's what I think happened. You can tell me if I'm wrong. Some genius at the White House, who I don't think was Joe Biden, because this is not a it's too clumsy and it's not a Biden-esque move, uh, decided to send Vice President Harris down to West Virginia to somehow nudge Joe Manchin. Now, we all know senators like porcupines don't like a shove. And for whatever reason, there was a that event happened. Then there was the predictable D.C. press about a little flurry. And now. Uh, Senator Manchin has announced effectively, I think, and I'm, I'm, I feel bad about it because I think ideologically she'd be better than a lot of the other options they may come up with from my point of view as a conservative. But anyway, Joe Manchin said he's not going to support Neera Tandon for OMB, which unless a bunch of Republicans ride to the rescue and Collins and Romney have already said they will not, uh, probably dooms her nomination. So to me, it looked like a little bit of quid pro quo. I, I don't think Manchin has an ideological reason to she's about as moderate as a choice as you're going to get in that key job in fact i think the repubs made a mistake by being a bunch of crybabies about a few mean tweets i mean since when is the republican senate worried about nasty tweets they they were playing homage to the king of that for four damn years but but anyway now now everybody's a snowflake and we're all very sensitive about poor i think the repubs should have been i think they ought to save her now because it's going to be you know bernie's driver is going to wind up in that job or something which is is going to be worse but anyway here we are it looks to me like senator manchin is slapping back a little the way senators do and how do we think that harris thing got done because there's no way biden would that's just you know if somebody in the clinton administration had sent a a vp sent gore in there to into delaware to send biden a message biden would have reacted just like manchin did i mean i this whole thing puzzles me because they're the, the the biden guys are not that stupid and I think it's unfortunate now that Nero's paying the price. What, what do you all think? Well, let, let me start by saying, I mean, in fairness to Republicans in mean tweets, uh, we did hear for four years as people walked through the Capitol that they actually hadn't seen any of Donald oh, Trump's true. tweets. <laughs> so, 
it, yeah. it is entirely possible that that it's the, all the, new to him. The, yeah. the Twitter is a concept and an app that's just beginning to open up in the phones of U.S. Or, or they were only following near attendant. <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, right, right. I didn't follow exactly. Donald Trump, but I followed near attendant. All right, let's take a minute to hear from one of our esteemed sponsors. Murphy, you know what? There's really nothing better on a cold, wintry day in a place like Chicago than looking outside and seeing the snow pile up, but understanding you've got a great place to go, and that is to open online or in print The New Yorker and peer through and read a really in-depth article that helps you understand something, learn something, and best of all, you get to stay out of the winter. Now, that sounds like a good idea. I've had it with the winter. The New Yorker's weekly print issues and daily online articles cover a full range of topics. There's something for everyone. Politics, news, international affairs, climate change, and the environment, popular culture, the arts, fiction, food, humor, and cartoons. And you can tell from this ad, they get into everything. The New Yorker has become the daily digital destination for news and cultural coverage, publishing 10 to 15 exclusive site-only stories every single day. In addition to that, you can use their apps, read from the online archives dating all the way back to 1925. I've been zeroing in on 1927 lately, so I'm going to check that out. And the fun stuff, you can solve crossword puzzles and more. Plus, don't forget the cartoons. The cartoons are great, but so are articles by their editor, David Remnick investigative pieces by folks like Ronan Farrow, great writing by people like Jelani Cobb, Dexter Filkins, or Robin Wright, really help you understand culture, foreign policy, politics, a lot of different things. You you just can't go wrong picking up an issue, thumbing through it, and figuring out what's great to read on a cold winter day. You know, they've got something up now about called Bad Dog, Why Live with a Difficult Animal. I'm kind of curious about all that. I'm going to read that. And I checked out one on who should stop unethical artificial intelligence because there are a lot of big issues around the power of AI. So that is what's there waiting for you. The question is, Robert, how do we get it? For a limited time, you can get 12 weeks of The New Yorker for just $6. Murphy, even if you're not a math major, that's a savings of 50%. Wow, I think that might even be half. (laughs) Plus, listeners of this show will receive an exclusive tote bag for free. Go to thenewyorker.com slash hacks. That's N-E-W-Y-O-R-K-E-R dot com slash hacks to get 12 weeks of The New Yorker for just $6 and a free tote bag. Go to newyorker.com slash hacks. We talked about this a couple of shows ago, Murphy. I think the clumsiness at best of, of what the White House did with um, with the vice president in both West Virginia and in Arizona. Um, I, I think in both of those states, you're never going to you're never going to get a Joe Manchin to vote for a bill because it is the overriding priority of the national democratic message. That that's just and to give yeah, everybody yeah, yeah, a yeah. quick lesson, I, Let I Manchin pulled some, be Manchin. Yeah, I pulled a few statistics for you, and I just think it's interesting for people to understand. In both 1992 and 1996, Bill Clinton won West Virginia. Bill Clinton actually won 51 and a half percent of the vote in 1996. That's stunning. I know. George Bush gets (laughs) 51.9% in 2000, and then the bottom literally drops out, right? 
Barack Obama got 42.6% in 2008, followed up by 35.5% in 2012. Joe Biden got 29.7% of the vote. Now, my favorite statistic, and I know I've now numbed you with numbers, in the 2012 Democratic presidential primary in West Virginia, late primary with a sitting United States president, a man named Keith Russell Judd, whose occupation at the time was inmate in Texas, got 40% of the vote against Barack Obama. Like, so it gives you a sense of this is not your average. Well, we, this we is not his leadership. You know, let's right. say he's, he was bringing crime down from the inside, you know, just, right. just like uh, what's his reform. name? The great Democratic guy, Jimmy Trafficant in uh, Youngstown, Ohio, who was investigating corruption by going undercover. Look, I think it's a regrettable. Because I, I like you, I, I think Nira is a very qualified individual. I don't think anybody's going to argue, and I don't think she would argue with some of the tone of those tweets. As you said, Twitter fights in Washington seem to be um, a, a greater pastime than uh, than some of the professional sports teams uh, in the city. So I, I'm I'm stunned a little bit by um, the Pollyannishness of the whole thing. I'm stunned a little bit. And think it was bad. Senator Collins saying that Nero wasn't qualified for this position. That was simply, outrageous. That's that was just outrageous. simply not true. Um, yeah. But I also think this is, look, we've talked about this a little bit. I mean, the Senate Majority Leader, the title is held by Chuck Schumer and the job is held by Joe Manchin. And he's going to decide because wherever he stands is 50 votes. And, right. and Democrats are going to have to figure out a solution for working with Joe Manchin, it is not going to be coming in over the top from Brooklyn. Well, we, we, we've done a lot of work with Joe Manchin over the years. And, and, and uh, you know, I've worked, and Robert, you have, I mean, you've worked for candidates yep. like Joe Manchin and members like Joe Manchin. I mean, they have a process. Um, and, and sometimes you just have to let them go through, you know, go through their, you know, their process. Now, as it relates, um, as it relates to Republicans, I, I'm with Mike. I mean, at this point, they should they should use the leverage they have um, uh, with Nira, help get her over the top and then, you know, have somebody they can negotiate with uh, in that in that position. They got their pound of flesh when she went before committee after committee and apologized. And, you know, the apology uh, and the falling on the sword is a lost art in politics. It's a lost art in Washington. We hardly ever hear anyone apologize right. for anything that they've done. And she Should've did it. And and they should have let that you know let that be uh, let that be enough. Uh, but you know, unfortunately, it looks like it's a tough road to hoe. I mean, all I think all eyes are on um, uh, Lisa Murkowski um, and to some extent on Bernie Sanders. I have a feeling that part of what's going on here is the Republicans, uh, you know, in the caucus meetings and everything, have agreed that number one priority is to be nice to Joe Manchin. Because he's the great swing vote. And so if Manchin doesn't like her, we don't like her because we don't want an inch of daylight between us and, and Manchin. And I kind of get the politics of that. On the other hand, I guarantee you, if they nuke Nira, the next OMB, which is basically the person holding the pen on the budgeting process from the executive right. side, critical job is going to be to the left of centrist business Democrat Nira Tandon, which is why she has some criticism from the left. So careful what you wish for ours, because, um, uh, you know, 
that it, it, ideologically it's probably going to be a step in from that point of view in the wrong direction. Now, just quickly, do you guys think Manchin was? I can't. I don't think he had an ideological problem with her. Did she tweet about him, or is this payback for the Harris thing? What, what's our guess, or maybe we know? Well, I mean, I just know what he said, which was that uh, that her tweets towards his Republican colleagues, um, and he he said that he wants uh, you know to be a bipartisan member, and he wants a bipartisan Senate, and he thinks that that. Uh, I don't think these are his words exactly, but essentially that uh, that that poisoned uh, poisoned the well. And I I just don't look at look. I think it'd be hard, uh, you know. And look, I hope no one has no one nominates me me for anything. I have to delete my Twitter feed. But I mean, you know, to go before United States senators and apologize uh, and you know and fall on your sword and apologize to the chairman of the committee and apologize to other Republicans is a really hard thing to do. And I think it really does speak to. Uh, what she's learned through the process, it speaks to her character, and I think they should let her. They should let her through, and they'll they'll have someone they can do business with at OMB. As you said, I think it'd be interesting to watch where Lisa Murkowski ends up on this. Um, you know, do, does does the White House approach her not unlike you would probably have approached Mansion, which is what 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 do you need to get to be for this? What do you need now? I will say this for Democrats, and 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 look again, I. I I, I don't agree with the criticism of, of Nira. Let me just state that. But I do think that Democrats should probably get used to the idea that on a couple of high-profile votes that, that Manchin doesn't see a huge downside to, you're going to see him do this. Because, again, he represents a state where the current administration got slightly less than 30% of the vote. And so... I, you know, I, I think, you know, Democrats are they're, they're not going to like the outcome of this. They're they're going to, quite frankly, want him to be for the stimulus bill uh, above right. uh, above all. And I think you're going to see. And, and look, I think you're going to see Republicans like Romney and 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 Murkowski uh, and, and others are going to vote. On Republicans on the Republican side enough to make sure that when they do break, it doesn't become a huge problem for them. Yeah, so this is the point. these are the dynamics of a 50-50 Senate. I think the thing to remember here for every Democrat is this American Rescue Plan is the table setter for the yeah. Biden presidency. Because the Biden presidency is gonna have to be what he does through administrative action and what he does in a handful of reconciliation bills. That's uh, true. Because the Republicans have really shown um, that, you know, they didn't bring a serious proposal uh, in response to the American Rescue Plan that would get 10, uh, 10 Republican votes and hold and hold the Democrats. So the American Rescue Plan is really it's a table setter for the presidency and we got to get it done. Now, on the other hand, uh, Senator Manchin, I'm told by my uh, sources deep within the West Virginia Democratic Party, all three of them, <laughs> um, is in a panic today, running around, because because he's opposed near attend, and he's now under attack from AOC. And I'm sure he's just having a real shivering with fear moment right there. Or maybe he's cracking open the champagne, because she went out uh, today with, of course, a tweet, and there might have been a statement, too, saying that he had voted to support Jeff Sessions in the past, so therefore he's a racist, or Sessions is a racist, and he voted for a racist, which I think kind of makes him, in her eyes, a racist. But how dare he oppose Neera Tandon? So what do you think? Emergency meeting of the Manchin political operation to see how they're going to weather this blistering attack? 
the the emergency meeting of the digital crew in the mansion office is to figure <laughs> out how to retweet this as many times as possible and have people in West Virginia see it. I mean, this yeah. is this is one of those things where you know he he's actually called the West Virginia TV stations to make them apprised of of this tweet rather than worrying about. Again, I I think. Raw political power is not something that is going to move Joe Manchin in this. Again, the dynamics of the state. And quite frankly, look, let's be clear if you're Joe Manchin. Um, even if you are the best Democrat, do, do you want in a 50-50 Senate to vote 100% of the time with Democrats? Or do you want to play majority leader? Right, do you want exactly. to be the most? you exactly. want to be the most important person in West Virginia since, since uh, Robert Byrd was the chairman of the Appropriations Committee? This is like... This is gold for you. And yeah, and if, totally. you know, AOC throwing in tweets and pot shots and, you know, the vice president going on TV. And I mean, that stuff is um, you can't pay for that kind of stuff. Yeah. If she really pisses him off. He'll go to Brooklyn and endorse her <laughs> or, or Queens or wherever the hell. Look, let me say this. I, I hope Neertana gets through. I really do. I, one thing I will say is I want Joe Manchin to remain a Democrat. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're I totally mean, right. You the know, Dems, I mean, we. There's, there's evidence. I mean, look, we don't have to go that far back. He's, he's now retiring, but people may forget Richard Shelby was a Democrat. I was a Richard Shelby intern at one point. Oh my goodness! Oh, <laughs> I no, believe care, it. now AOC is going to go after you. Um, <laughs> you got to remember, if you're a Democrat, that Manchin is a mermaid. He can go under. He's a fish and a human, and so don't ask him <laughs> to run four Ks. You know, just accept the fact that right. it's a miracle he's there, and let Manchin be Manchin. Now, Merrick Garland looks like going to slide on through. Lindsey Graham and Schumer agree. Do we think there would be any bumps there, or is he our next attorney general? I think he's our next attorney general by a lot, and I yeah, think um, you got to love Washington. It is a place of of as we talked about in the earlier segment, short term memories. Uh, uh, I do love watching Republicans ask whether Merrick Garland is going to be the people's lawyer or, or the president's lawyer. Um, uh, it just was a, a, a little bit of the hearing was, you know, or watching Chuck Grassley say, <laughs> you know, the only reason I opposed you was because your nomination for Supreme Court was so close to the election. Uh, I mean, just uh, it, it right. is <laughs> Amy Coney Barrett. I mean, right. really? if, if, <laughs> if, if, if hypocrisy was a crime there, there literally we wouldn't have a Congress. I think he's going to be a, a, a huge breath of fresh air for Washington, for the Justice Department, for the process of how the Justice Department goes about doing its its jobs. And I will say this: the the I, I thought his when he got emotional about what the country has provided for his family uh, as a refuge, um, you know, seeking to to flee anti semitism in Europe was. Um, you know, a predictably unscripted but wildly powerful moment. Well, let me tell you what I took away from it, and that is how Mitch McConnell, who was trying to stop uh, Garland from going on the Supreme Court, how smart he was not to give him a public hearing. Um, I mean, this is, you know, we were fighting like hell for that uh, nomination in 2016, and Mitch McConnell, um, you know, sat on it. He didn't meet with Republican senators. Uh, he didn't get uh, he didn't get any hearings. And I think you see why now. I mean, Mitch McConnell, I'm sure, has been in rooms with uh, Merrick Garland and knew that if that impressive man was on display, bottling up his uh, nomination to the Supreme Court was uh, going to be harder and it was going to be a bigger political loser than it uh, than it turned out to be. Just a tremendous uh, performance yesterday. I think he'll make a great attorney general. 
And ironically enough, I think Mitch is going to vote for him. So another chapter in Mitch's upcoming memoirs, Master Contortionist, 50 years in the U.S. Senate. Once Merrick Garland goes to to the Justice Department, you you open up the second most important set of court seats in the United States. That will be the next uh, great war in this will be who replaces uh, Garland. And I think there may be even one other opening on that court uh, as well. So every domino just creates something else to follow in Washington. Yeah, totally. Let's take a minute to do an ad and we'll be right back. Hey, Murphy, you know what's not fair? I mean, a lot's not fair these days, but you know what's really not fair? The fact that Netflix hides thousands of shows and movies from you based on your location and then has the nerve to increase their prices on you. That's right. They've just raised their prices once again. Now, you could just cancel your subscription and protest, or you could be smart about it and make sure you're getting your full money's worth by using ExpressVPN like I do. You may not know what's on Netflix in your country is completely different from what someone in the UK or Japan has on theirs. So when you use ExpressVPN, that stands for Virtual Private Network, you can control which country you want the Netflix computer to think you are in. ExpressVPN has over 90 countries to choose from, so every time I run out of stuff to watch, I just switch over to another country and unlock new shows. So if you like to watch world TV, and here's another tip. This isn't in the ad script, so maybe I'll get in trouble. But sometimes the release timeline in other countries is different from here. So if you like watch the PBS Masterpiece Theater, sometimes the stuff that'll be here next year is already available over in the UK. So with ExpressVPN, you can kind of plug in like you're a local in all these different places. You also have a lot more security on your internet watching. So check it out. Some people uh, I know use it to watch BBC iPlayer. It's free and only available in the UK. You can't get it here. But with ExpressVPN, you can. Uh, We should also say ExpressVPN is super fast and works on your phone, laptop, even smart TV. So you can watch your shows on the big screen with zero buffering. Be smart, stop paying full price for streaming services and only getting access to a fraction of their content. Get your money's worth at expressvpn.com slash hacks on tap. Don't forget to use my link so you can get three extra months free. That's expressvpn.com slash hacks on tap. expressvpn.com slash hacks on tap. The rubber stamp packed, illegitimate Mitch McConnell driven Supreme Court wasted no time in in just absolutely smacking down President, former President Trump's uh, Supreme Court application to throw out the ruling they made that the prosecutors can indeed dig into not only his taxes, but his accountant's memos and documents, which I guarantee you is going to be a future course at NYU Tax School on uh, on, on how to evade taxes. So <laughs> that's my awkward transition to Trump. But before we dig into that defeat, the president is back. Uh, looks like he's going to be speaking at CPAC uh, over the weekend. What what do we think? And he, here's my do-gooder question, uh, Robert, for you. And uh, Brad, if you want to weigh in, uh, my view on this is they should not by any means. But should the cable channels cover the speech live, giving him more oxygen like they've done for so long? Or now that he's ex-president, should they not? And what do you think they will do? Other than Fox, which is very I was going to say, Fox will 
probably declare Sunday at CPAC a national holiday and uh, uh, not just film Donald Trump live, but probably interview seven or eight children and their grandchildren and anything else. Here would be my test if I was a producer at a cable network, say CNN or MSNBC. Um, I do not believe that the test of a former president speaking and going live should be one that uh, uh, that they acquiesce. I, I think when presidents speak, we cover them regardless of, of, of what they say or when they say it or where they say it because they're presidents. And I think the network's all too late got to this idea of, of needing to do some correction at what he was saying. But I don't think that that there is a, a the litmus test of, of somebody like Trump speaking should be covered live. Should it be a news event? Absolutely. I mean, whether Mike or anybody else likes it or not, Donald Trump remains the head of the Republican Party. And he will for the foreseeable future until somebody decides or he decides he's not the head of the Republican Party. So it should be covered as, as a news story, but not as a live event. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Um, you know, it, it's hard, I think, as a political practitioner. I mean, to, to some extent, it's, you know, the more Trump is on the stage and the more he's being contrasted with Joe Biden, who is, you know, in historical terms, an incredibly popular president right now with incredibly popular policies. It's, I think, to the benefit uh, of the Democrats, Democratic Party and the president. But him being live, I mean, you know, look, you know, frankly, we've seen how dangerous um, dangerous that can be and what he can, um, you know, what he can inspire people, uh, to do. So I, I, I think it's a news event. Yes. As a live event. Um, absolutely not. Yeah. Look, I'm with you guys. He's news. He is news. You know, Jimmy Carter was news in 1981. Um, ex presidents are news when they go public. Most of them, by the way, don't, uh, but he's choosing to, he's also going to the RNC meeting down in Florida so yeah, cover it, you know, cover it with the tape slug. And if he does something amazing, that's huge news, cover it bigger, but live feed is purely a money-making scam. And I'm hoping they have learned from their mistakes and can be more, more uh, prudent. Now, Robert, to your point about Trump being the head of the Republican party, I both agree and disagree because we're now in the vacuum post president period where you got a lot of warlords running around and he's the biggest warlord, but the warlord, if, if, if you're the president of the Ford Motor Company and you care a lot about regulatory policy and you're like, God, I got to deal with the Republicans here. This is a huge thing for for business or our company. Get me the head of the Republican Party. He's going to pick up the phone and talk to Mitch McConnell because McConnell is the head of the power legislating real world Republican Party. Trump is the warlord of the grassroots. So I think it's split. I think it, it is. I mean, look, I get it. Trump's the biggest warlord, but. Mitch has the most day-to-day power right now in inside government. So it's it's not it's not as monotheocratic, I think, as you're saying. But go ahead. I know you disagree because your head's shaking like crazy. Yes. If you want, <laughs> His glasses almost came off. On, if you would like to amend the National Environmental Policy Act of 1974, uh, Mitch McConnell is the guy to call. Um, if you want to if you want to ask the next 100 people that buy Fords. Um, who runs the Republican Party? I, I guarantee you that uh, 80 of them, if not more, are going to tell you Donald Trump leads the party. 
Well, yeah, but that that's perception. The reality is Donald Trump couldn't pass. Donald Trump couldn't change anything in America uh, next week um, other than maybe generate rhetoric. Let me ask you this. Let, let, let's do a, a, a ballot test of Republicans, Mitch McConnell versus Donald Trump. How many, how many, how many points of Mitch McConnell do I need to give you to take that bet? Uh, but I don't know. What, you mean in a primary? In, yeah. in what they were just a poll. Yeah. Primary oh, or look, a poll. Yeah, you you poll the you poll Republican primary voters and Trump is going to beat McConnell 5 to 1 or better. Okay, so so walk me through again how he's not the head of the Republican party. <laughs> like, but, but that's the kingdom of make believe. There there you know, here's my point. It's like stop the old Are joke you stealing about the election either, again from Donald Trump. He just it, won it's, five It's the to old one. joke that was once told about Napoleon, then about Stalin. One day, Stalin came home from a long day of committing atrocities, and he checked the mailbag, much like we do. Oh, good. Uh, and there was a letter from the Pope, and the Pope said, "Hey, Stalin, can you knock off the mass murders, please? Come on, be reasonable." And Stalin turned to some of his yes men and said, "Ha, Pope's unhappy. How many divisions does he have?" <laughs> And threw the letter away. So yes, if the if the New Hampshire yeah. primary was tomorrow and Trump was running and leading, he'd have a lot of power. If you want to stop Republican uh, Congress people or senators from doing certain things, Trump can manufacture some fear of his you know wrath, which is perceived to be true. It doesn't always mean it's true. It's like a magic trick. But right now, Trump's real power. And by the way, it's going to be a test if he gets the live speech or not. Because if you if you take away that bubble, that weakens Trump. So anyway, yes, Trump Trump is the nominal head of the party, but with no operating authority. You know, he he can't throw lightning bolts. He can't pass a bill. He can't he can't stop near a tan. He can't even send a tweet. Well, yeah, yeah, but it counts. His presidency wasn't about policy or bills or legislation. It was a, it was about you know it was about himself. I mean, he look it it, it is absolutely true that he can't do any legislating. Um, I do think he can affect a lot of legislating. I, I think one of the reasons, um, you know, one of the reasons we're seeing unanimous opposition. I mean, you know, I mean, unanimous opposition to to this American Rescue Plan from Republicans that gets 74, 75 percent support in, in the public, I think, is in part uh, Republicans can't afford uh, to cross Trump by doing anything for Joe uh, for Joe Biden. I've got to believe that's in uh, that's in the back of their heads. Well, I do think, look, Murphy, we, I, I think this argument is likely to be settled, and I think it will be an interesting thing to watch over the course of the next two years in a lot of these Republican primaries. Oh, totally. Because, exactly. That's the battlefield next yeah, year. I, I think, and, and look, I, I think the one thing, one of the things, I agree with one thing and I disagree with another. I don't think there are a lot of warlords on the battlefield. I think there is a commanding general and a lot of very scared privates walking around camp. Um but I, I do think, I mean, w- what I wonder is, does does Donald Trump have the patience and the attention span to be the leader of a party? Oh, it no. is fabulously That's- different than being the adulated president of the United States uh, with the big crowds. And I think it will be interesting. And I, I, I think you're right. Look, this is a guy who can't even like right now. He can't even send a tweet. Right. So. Yes, I mean there 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 are limits to his ability to exercise that power. I think he is for you know and again, I, I get why it's not a great thing, but he is actually he's the he's also the intellectual center of the Republican Party. Well, I want you to think about that. His his ability not or his lack of ability to send tweets, that was often how he weighed in 
uh, right. in in primaries. It was often how he weighed in uh, in what was going on the Hill. I remember scenes from very early in his presidency where Republicans were caucusing about, you know, their policy legislation may have been around taxes or something. And he puts out a tweet taking the opposite side and the whole room goes crazy. Um, and so he, he really is in that regard. He's been, you know, he's been cut off. It will be interesting to watch that the, the Cheney's going to clearly have a primary, but then you look at, you know, just looking at, at, at some of these Republicans on, on news shows and interviews, you know, still contending that the election wasn't on the up and up, still contending. I mean, Ron Johnson, the senator from Wisconsin, saying that, you know, the the what happened at the Capitol wasn't an armed insurrection. I mean, it just sort of it, it, it is. Um, oh, no, no. Look, it, it is there. But I'll bet you money right now that Ron Johnson is beaten the midterms. I won't bet you a lot because I want to know who the candidates are. But I think I've seen polling there. He's in the worst trouble of his career. So you're right. The primaries will be in the general in 2022 will be uh, will be the mark to market moment where all the rhetoric turns into winners and losers. And we'll find out the place to watch is is this race for control of the United States Senate. Totally. Um, but, you know, because the the enmity between uh, McConnell and Trump right now uh, is, is the is the part of the political universe on the Republican side uh, that is possibly most disastrous for them. I mean, he, you know, I think he played a role uh, in what happened in Georgia uh, for sure. Certainly, McConnell uh, blamed you know, yeah. him, and you know, and so how he plays in on the Senate side of the equation, which is fifty fifty. I mean, everything's at stake, uh, and yeah. there are relative actually relatively few uh, seats in in play. So. His, you know, his impact can be greater because he doesn't have to spread himself out. To Murphy's point, you know, whether it's Ron Johnson in Wisconsin, but each of the six closest presidential states has a U.S. Senate race up. And I, I think the McConnell McConnell versus Trump is going to be fascinating because I, I still think McConnell has PTSD from 2010 and 2012 watching races he thought he should have won in places like Missouri and Indiana and Nevada um, disappearing on him because they nominated sort of pre-Trump Trump candidates and and in places that you know to your point uh, Murphy the, the the Johnson polling could prove uh, could prove troublesome well th- this is an old story too remember Mitch Mitch uh Operates like Cho and Lai. Uh, you know, what do you think about the French Revolution? Too early to tell. He has a long memory. He remembers, <laughs> remember when we ran the witch in Delaware on the broom? Um, you know, so so Delaware we've had the, the, one, the yeah. nut cost me the Senate problem for, for more than even the Trump period. Uh, Mitch, Mitch is getting up there. He's not a spring chicken. And I think his great legacy has been conservative judges but i th- he would love i think to recapture the majority in the midterms and that would be kind of the crowning thing on his career we're, we're see if it happens the state map looks a little tough but but trump could could make it even tougher you know we just we just have to sort of wait and see now here's a question for you guys i uh there's a lot of this third party breakaway, create a new center right party talk. Now, I know all political hacks say the same thing. Oh, hell, baloney. But if there is a suburban Republican protest party that pulls 5 to 10% of the normal Republican vote in a lot of these key races, and the, the work being done, I'm, I'm, I, I, I know about all of it, is not insignificant. Names I never thought I would have seen. Um, would that have a material outcome on 2022? Because I think it's more than 50-50. Something's going to get launched. 
Uh, be, would be fascinating. I mean, obviously, in, in any of these races, if you're pulling 5% off of the Republican total, all of a sudden, you've, you, you, you put a lot more dem- Democrats in play to right. win in seats. I mean, th- that's for sure. I, I guess my question for you, Murphy, would be, you've got to have a lot of Republicans that decide they're happy to give out six-year terms to Democrats in right. order to teach somebody a lesson for something that happened either two years ago in 2020 or six years ago in 2016. And I just don't know that there are a lot of people that look at their future by or think about their future by looking six years in the past. Yeah, well, like most of these third-party things, they start strong, and in the last three weeks they tend to collapse because people decide they want their vote to be connected to somebody who can win. The The question for the center-right, third-party thing that has to be answered. And I don't know the answer to it. The tactical question is, does it take more, does it split the anti-Trump vote in a given state, or does it really peel off the Republican vote? Or will, are the Republicans tribally loyal enough that people who were disgusted enough to vote Democrat then can rest in a third-party place, which doesn't hurt the Republicans as much? So, you know, who do you really get if you get your 6 or 8 10%? Then the second question is, if you're one of these center-right uh, voters and, and the people trying to organize it, which is more important, winning elections from the center-right or prevent, keeping the current Republican Party out of power? Short-term, it's number two. You've got to be committed to that. Uh, long-term, you might get to number one. But in the short-term, it's a poison pill. And will right-of-center voters, as much as they don't like the current you know, Republican Party, will enough of them go there to be meaningful? That's the big question and be material. And I don't think we have the answer to it yet, but it's not not clear cut because I'm kind of where you are, Robert. I think a lot of people in October may say, God, as bad as they are, I'm, I'm not going to vote for the party of AOC. You know, part of it is, will the Democrats in the midterms in the congressional races have the image of a comfortable, more center, not scary Joe Biden or will they have the you know the optics and the perception of the squad? Because we learned in the it, while Trump was losing, I don't think the Democrats got the congressional traction I would have expected them to get. Because the identity, the brand perception, being reality in politics, that brand of the House Democrats was still a little heavy on risk. And can they de-risk that? It's probably a good question for Brad because you're going to be you're a general at the DNC and you're going to be wrestling with this going into the midterms. And you got a party, not unlike the Republican Party, with a very strong ideological grassroots that knows what it wants. Um, so anyway, those are the unanswered questions. And again, 2022 is going to, we're going to have the science experiment. Yeah. Well, look, I think first of all, the whatever happens on the Republican side, the the war between you know Trump and McConnell. Uh, this third party movement that may may divide Republicans. I, I'm hard pressed to see where where the downside is for you know for Democrats. It will put you know e- even slicing a few percentage points you know off uh, you know here or there in you know in races is, is you know would be enough. I mean, just look how close the, the races were in you know the races were in Georgia. But I mean, my you know my advice to anybody operating in Democratic politics or Democratic policy is the most important thing you can do right now um, is is make your wartime general successful. And that is to make Joe Biden's presidency, uh, presidency a success because the record that Democrats could be running on in 2022 is the economy is back and the virus is gone. And if, you know, and, and you have, you will have at the beginning of this presidency 100% opposition to the policy efforts to do those two things. So, uh, you, you, you know, let, you know, 
before we start attaching ideological uh, purity to Democratic primaries or you know our efforts to win in 2022, let's make Joe Biden successful because your left wing candidate or your center uh, left candidate is not going to win if Joe Biden's presidency is not uh, sailing at that point. I think it still, as I said, Murphy, I think it would take a huge leap for a decent number of Republicans to decide in October of 2022 that they're okay handing four or five U.S. Senate seats to the Democrats for the next for the for years three and four of of Biden's first term. That, that to me is I ideologically I, I'm fascinated to watch that. All right, let's take a minute to hear from one of our esteemed sponsors. Hey, Gibbs, you know what interferes with your happiness? I know what interferes with mine. Humans, all kinds of problems, including one in South Florida who won't go away. Well, luckily, BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. Connect in a safe and private online environment. It's so convenient. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. Look, Murphy, look, Murphy, we have all struggled a little bit in COVID. We're stuck in our houses. We're not connected to the people we love. This allows you to send a message to a counselor anytime. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, all without having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if that's what you want to do. And the service is available for clients worldwide. Find the particular expertise you need online. Don't limit yourself to counselors located just near you. You know, you can get help with depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, all the things that people in this difficult time could use some help with. And it's important, Murphy, because anything that you share with counselors is confidential. This service is convenient. It's professional. Most importantly, it's affordable. And if you want to know more about it, check out their testimonials posted daily on their site. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. So if you want to make a step toward a happier life today, check this place out. As a Hacks on Tap listener, you will get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor, betterhelp.com slash hacks, betterhelp.com slash hacks. Join over 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash hacks. You know, Gibbs, every once in a while uh, on Twitter, people will write in and say, Axe, you make me nauseous. But nausea is nothing to joke about. It's like getting stuck in the back of a car and you're kind of a little bit hemmed in and you just you get that feeling and it starts in your stomach. It's not. Yeah. A good and, and, and like you're on your way to something good, a, a celebration or party or something. And. Now you're nauseous and you can't get rid of it, except there is an answer now, and it's called Relief Band. Tell us about Relief Band. Relief Band is the number one FDA-cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. The product is 100% drug-free, non-drowsy, and provides all-natural relief with zero side effects, zero. 
for as long as needed. The technology was originally developed over 20 years ago in hospitals to relieve nausea from patients, but now through relief band, it's available to all of us. Here's how it works with relief band. It stimulates a nerve in the wrist that travels to the part of the brain that controls nausea. Then it blocks the signal your brain is sending to your stomach, telling you that you're sick. Relief Band is the only over-the-counter wearable device that has been used in hospitals and oncology clinics to treat nausea and vomiting. If you know somebody who deals with nausea, Relief Band makes a great gift. I'm telling you, Relief Band works. We know from our own experience, we sent one to our engineer who often gets nauseous during our shows, and he reports 100% cure. Don't fall for those cheap bands you see in drugstores or on your Instagram feed. All right. Right now, Relief Band has an exclusive offer just for our Hacks listeners. If you go to ReliefBand.com and use promo code HACKS, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no questions asked 30-day money-back guarantee. So head to ReliefBand, R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D, Dot com and use our promo code HACKS for 20% off plus free shipping. To Brad's point, look, let, let me tell you who would love for cables to cover Donald Trump live. Joe Biden. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, let, let me tell you, the, the you, you started with this, this you know, the, the Pfizer plant in Kalamazoo. If I'm in the White House, I'm happy to contrast pictures of talking to doctors and pharmaceutical manufacturers and small business owners with the egomaniacal diatribe that is going to happen either live or on tape at CPAC on Sunday. Because let me tell you what. It is not going to be a marking of COVID deaths. It is not going to be a we need to do better to open up our economy and get this virus under control. It is going to be a woe is me. I really won and I'm really in charge. Um, uh, you know, it, it, it's going it, to it's just going to be it's going to be crazy. And if you're if you wanted to set up a contrast uh, you and you're sitting in the White House, it's it is made for TV. It really is great. You know, it's funny. I have the weird ability, like Kreskin, to uh, read Joe Biden's mind uh, through the television <laughs> set. And uh, so I was watching him walk around the Pfizer plant, and I saw, you know, he was somber, but there's also a little grin because I know what he was thinking. He's looking out of the, the window of the limo at all the pickup trucks with the NRA stickers in the parking lot, and he walks out, and he's well-received there, nice, polite West Michigan people, a lot of them Republicans, not all in Kazoo County. It's one of the more Democratic Western mid, but in the wider area, it's a Republican area, thinking, ha, these damn Trump voters are going to save my ass because they're tripling production. Those shots are going into arms. I'm going to get the biggest economic recovery, and I'm going to have the Woodhouse bumper sticker, COVID <laughs> down, wages up. Right. <laughs> so, you know, all you guys with the red hats who are working around the clock to, you know, double the assembly line here, I, I, I salute you because it is it is kind of an amazing irony. And, and credit to them, by the way, it's a nice American moment that the red hats are left in the pickup trucks. They are doubling production. And Biden is going to get the shots into arms now in a lot better way, though we might have to recall the governor of California. But that's a whole nother another topic. So anyway, I. Uh, I kind of agree with that thing. I would say about the R's, though, you're going to have some suburban R's who are going to vote Democrat like they've been doing, or independents who are really R's who won't say they're R's. And that is good for the Democrats if the Trump Q crazy still 
leads the party two years from now and all the primaries go that way. But, you you know, if there's an independent protest thing, it won't take them, but it might give some repubs who can't quite go to the Dem permission to rest somewhere. And that could be 3%. And if you're you're a Johnson or in a, in a hair-tough Senate race, it could be material. And Brad's right. Any Republican war is good for the Dems. And we seem to be accepting Trump. We're, we, we, the voters buried him, but the party won't let him. So he's going to be at RNC, he's going to be at CPAC, he's going to be in the media, and I think he's going to have a half-life like bad plutonium and, and decline, but I could very well be wrong, and <laughs> as you say, the primaries will still make it. you sick if you run into it, right? Yeah, and, no, yeah. no, it'll kill you any way it can. You, but, you know uh, what the half-life of plutonium is, right? It's like several thousand years. Yeah, just, no, just no, a, it's, uh, just FYI. it's <laughs> like the beautiful plutonium that's powering the Made in America uh, Perseverance rover that is an isotope that declines a lot quicker, but still go. poisonous. I will say, Brad, I don't know what your contract is at the DNC, but <laughs> Go go print some of those bumper stickers that the, yeah. the, the, the economy is back and the virus is gone. It, it, it sounds a lot like, um, you know, uh, bin Laden is dead and GM is alive for, for exactly Joe right. Biden. It, I'm it's, telling it's, you. It's tailor-made for Joe Biden. If you, you know. need a credit card to get to the printers, I've, uh, I'll no, call you it, right even, after even this. Even go shorter. COVID down, wages up. There you yeah, go. That's a good People one care about wages, not unemployment yeah. figures. I'm ready. But we need to get a good red, white, and blue palette on those stickers and uh, have them out by uh, by sometime next week. Yeah, send me a donkey T-shirt. Yeah, <laughs> I can't believe I'm doing this. I spent 30 years chasing you sons of bitches around the country, and here I am working on Democratic bumper stickers. It is unbelievable. I'm going to need to get reconditioned here. Hell, I'll even drive over to Michigan if you uh, if we want to share some of the business over there, uh, Murphy. Well, it's a right to work state now, so we're meeting <laughs> the middle. <laughs> All right, well, gentlemen, anything else? I uh, maybe an exit question. Brad, you're you're putting on your four-star general outfit, marching into the DNC. What evil shit are you guys planning to use against my my party of lone patriots and Q uh, 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 maniacs? And <laughs> upcoming, any any interesting things coming down? I mean, your point of view as somebody who's been around politics a long time, now in our modern digital era, taking a look at a, a DNC just generically. Uh, what do you think the role is now that there's so many independent expenditures and everything for the national party? Look, I, I will tell you, I think the most, and, and I was there and Robert was behind the podium uh, in 2009 when Barack Obama came in. And I thought the most important thing we did was, you know, we tried to lead the political side of trying to get the president's agenda done because, you know, the, the, the party is going to rise or fall on, you know, on the success of this president. And I think, uh, you know, Joe Scarborough had a column today about about the opposite of that, about what Trump Trump being a president who, you know, was a terrible failure and what that meant, you know, for the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. I mean, they lost in 17, 18, 19 and 20, all four years. Republicans lost statewide elections all across the country. And so we've got to make Joe Biden uh, successful. And so I'm this would be shocking to Gibbs as long as I've been an attack dog, a lot less interested in uh, in, you know, attacking Republicans every day than I am finding ways to lift Joe Biden and lift it in a political sense, a policy sense, um, and, and just give that burst of momentum for his presidency to be uh, to be successful. Because if he's riding at 56, 57% in the polls and his policies are, are even higher and Republicans are opposing them, the Republican side is going to kind of take care of itself. Yeah, we have a gift for that 
That exasperated, deflated sound you just heard was every reporter on deadline bummed that Brad is no longer <laughs> going to unwind his uh, very special quotes about Republicans. And that right. I'm uh, not shutting down my I'm not shutting down my Twitter feed by any stretch of the imagination. But but you know that this you know, look I, this old adage. I mean you know Republicans I think to a large extent are shooting themselves in the foot. And who are we to get in the, in the way of the bullet? I mean just yeah, you know, give them ammo. Just right. You know. That's right. Yeah. All right. Let's go to the mailbag. <laughs> now, Brad, when you when we conned you into coming on, you didn't know you'd be hearing hit jingles now, did you? No, that is that is terrific. I love that. If you have a question for our mailbag, send it to us. We will check it out. And if you had a question in the past that didn't make it, send it again. We're we're not always sober when we read these, so don't we we're not <laughs> against uh, repeat emailings. The magic email address is hacksontap at gmail.com, hacksontap at gmail.com. And please check us out, rate us, review us, share us, do whatever you want, but help get the word out on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, whatever platform you use. Those really help get the podcast out to new listeners. So thank you for that. And we always want to hear your feedback. Okay. Question one. Murphy, let's start out with a question for Brad. This comes from Alex. I love it. It, it. I'm going to read this verbatim because you know it. It's almost from a North Carolina. It says, what do y'all think of the 2022 <laughs> North Carolina Senate race? How do you think the Republican and Democratic primaries will end up presumably between Mark Walker and Laura Trump on the Republican side, Jeff Jackson, Erica Smith on the Democratic side? Let me also say to you, Brad, I mean, w- w- this was a state that lots of Democrats had excitement about in 2020. Uh, mm-hmm. Trump won in the presidential race uh, and, and Tom Tillis reelected. What do you, what do you think about that Senate race. Well, look, I think, look, I think we were very close, you know, close only counts and what is it? Horseshoes and hand grenades. Um, I think, you know, we were very close in, in 2020. We had an unfortunate, obviously situation in the personal life of the, of our, you know, Senate candidates. So my, you know, one thing my advice is, you know, uh, you know, for Democrats choose wisely, you know, make sure that you're, you're making, uh, making the right choice. Because I think that, that late information about our Senate candidate made the critical difference in um, you know, in, in that race, you know, more so than look, and, and look, I would, I'd be hard pressed to think that, um, that a Trump on the ticket, um, you know, would have anything but success in a, in a Republican primary. And look, that may be the canary in the coal line though, about what the Republican civil war, uh, looks like, you know, all across, uh, all across the country. So I would watch that, but I think most importantly for, whether it's Senate race in North Carolina or elsewhere, is to look at the environment. I was there, uh, you know, in a Senate race in 2002, and we really thought we had a chance to win. But the environment that was set with, you know, the aftermath of 9-11, George Bush's approval ratings, support at that point uh, for his policies, including, you know, for potentially the war, you know, the war in Iraq. And, you know, the environment overwhelmed uh, what what we thought was going to be a close race. And I think in North Carolina, you've got really decisive leadership on COVID coming from the governor. Um, you know, it, I think that the the Biden plan will uh, will help uh, alleviate the suffering from the virus and uh, and the economy. And you know, I think in that environment, I, I feel really good about our chances. I think we have a chance to go against historical norms where uh, you know the the Democrat in the White House loses. Uh, midterm races because there's an opportunity to have an environment where you know the economy is back and the virus is gone or 
you know, wages are up and there's your bumper the sticker down. Right. And, and so I think <laughs> that's what I look for in a lot of these swing Senate races is how's the national environment, you know, falling on top. And North Carolina is this close, I think, to I mean, it, it, it's really hard to believe that it's been, you know, 12 years since Barack Obama won North Carolina in a in a presidential race. But there's a, there's strong Democratic leaning down there. I mean, we've had all its exclusively Democratic governors. Yeah. Um, you know, for a century or more. You might get the gift of Laura Trump, too, which I think will yeah. be a gift if yeah, she's the Republican so. nominee. Democrats, to your point, Brad, really do have to figure out how to win in a place like North Carolina. It is yeah. it is it's not as as it's not as far along, obviously, electorally as Virginia is or has been mm-hmm. for Democrats. Georgia now, you know, looks uh, obviously based on what happened in 2020. You've got so many people moving there from so many other places that uh, it really is time that the democratic party sort of cracked the code in federal elections as you mentioned yeah. uh you know jim hunt uh, beloved jim hunt and many others have, have served in the governor's mansion you know the little secret of history which is not in vogue right now i had a democratic activist yelling about uh at, at me about this but when the democrats are competitive with southern white protestants they do really really well and north carolina is going to be a case study on that but anyway, yep. go ahead, sir. No doubt no. about it. All right, this comes from Ann. I am a former Republican county chair, Romney delegate, never Trumper, now independent. My congressman was one of those who objected to the electors and voted against impeachment. I'm thinking about running against him in 2022. My question is, what are the key questions I should ask of political consultants as I interview them to make sure I'm getting one who plans to win and not just one who wants money? Murphy, oh, go. And perfect question. Oh, you guys are going to want to chime in too. First, run and run. It's honorable work. It's going to be uphill in the Republican primary. But, you know, um, as Chesty Puller, the famous Marine general, said in North Korea when he was surrounded by 10,000 enemy troops, his 500 guys, he said, good, now the bastards can't get away. So I say, <laughs> I say totally go for it. And there are groups out there that will be able to help you. Now, how to hire a political consultant? Here's the problem. It is an unlicensed industry. You know, you go to the hospital for brain surgery, and you don't go to the first person to show up with a white lab coat and say you're hired. You, you take a little look into credentials <laughs> and all that. So here's what you want. You want somebody who's worked on races like yours, who's helped a challenger win a primary and hopefully win a general election. Relevant experience. Two, you want real transparency in your financial dealings. In other words, maybe a win bonus, some incentives at the back end. Are they getting a piece of marking up anything or not? Hopefully not. Is it is it on a reasonable cash flow uh, payment schedule that reflects success in the campaign? And three, talk to clients. Find Ask them for three losers and three winners and talk to them all. Um, so you actually uh, don't just buy the pitch because they all have a great pitch. They're all going to tell you they were the genius behind the Trump campaign, the this campaign, the that campaign. But for all you know, they they were the driver on Saturdays. So you got to dig in, believe nothing, have a clear contract. And finally, get transparency about what else they're doing. How many other races? How much time are you going to get? Um, you know, you want to have the more transparency in the relationship and the more you've talked to people who've worked for them again, who've lost, not just one, uh, you will make an informed decision.
gentlemen you're you're both former consultants or current consultants <laughs> i've got uh, nothing to add know, that was a, did i am i going to get in union trouble for that any anything else that was say uh that was a a a good and and almost exhaustive list i, I think you're right the talking to talking to other clients winners and losers and then and as you said i think figuring out how much time do you really get from this person or is, is this something where you know, they brought in the big name like Mike Murphy to do the pitch. And then, you know, the next time you'll see him is on MSNBC and, and not hear him on a conference <laughs> I call. I resemble right? that remark. <laughs> I actually was always, I never did that. I'd be richer if I had. Yeah. And now for a question for the one and only Robert Gibbs from Felipe. With Malcolm Kenyatta announcing his run for the Pennsylvania Senate seat this week, it's gotten me thinking, oh, that's dangerous, but let's see where we go here. <laughs> Have we gotten to a point of overkill? Oh, good question. The new Congress has been in session for barely two months, and we already have a, quote, competitive primary that's more than a year out in a battleground state. Doesn't this contribute to voter exhaustion of the constant campaign? Should we not start regulating when a candidate is allowed to file or formally announce their campaign for a non-presidential race? What do you say, Robert? Well, look, I think it's tricky and, and probably not a smart thing to to go the route of of what's happened in places like the UK where there's a six a six week campaign for for prime minister or something like that. Yes, it does contribute maybe overall to voter fatigue. These elections do seem to get a little bit longer every time. But I will say this, the competition for activist support, endorsements and most of all money means these candidates have to start earlier than ever. And and look, th- this is you're trying to capture particularly in a Democratic primary, you're trying to capture the imagination of 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 diehard activists. So I don't think it overall contributes to too much voter fatigue because, quite frankly, most voters don't pay attention until toward the very end to begin right. with. It may pollute their TV uh, news a little bit, but it doesn't tend to mess up their football Sundays until we get closer to campaign commercial time. But, you know, with the prevalence of, you know, Murphy mentioned this, super PACs and, and lots of money swirling around in the system, um, you know, you've got to set up a, a, an organization that can contact voters, but most importantly, can can get those small dollar contributions uh, in the bank and, 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 and get your campaign moving. So I think this is I'm I'm not at all surprised that this process is starting earlier and earlier. Um, it, it will wear out the people that are on campaigns, and it'll wear out the candidates. But I don't think it will overall contribute too much to voter fatigue. Let me say this: that so a Senate race in a place like Pennsylvania, that you know, is an enterprise. I mean, it is it is a big state. It's an expensive state. Yeah. Uh, it is it is a state divided ideologically. You know, right to left to center. Um, so I'm not surprised at all, but I will tell you the place that I have been somewhat surprised is the number of fundraising emails I get or, you know, requests for endorsement or, or whatnot from people running for house seats, um, you know, that, you know, relatively smaller, you know, obviously smaller districts, um, and that those are starting as early as they are. That, that took me a little bit by surprise, the amount of stuff I get from my inbox for, for house races, yeah. understand Senate races is much bigger enterprise, but for house races, it's just stunning to me how many people, you know, announced shortly after, you know, after they were sworn in, in, in January that they were challenging. But like you said, it's a competition for money and money and support. 
You know, I agree, but with the caveat, when I would stun candidates, uh, Robert, by actually showing up after the pitch, um, <laughs> the first thing I tell them is start work early, but spend late. Yes. Because a mistake a lot of them make is they fire it up early, which is smart because time is a limited resource in any campaign. It has value. But they get into a competition with the other two who started early, and then they try to start out spending each other early. And by the time the voters show up later, they're broke. And the spending should be logarithmatic. It should be very heavily uh, focused when the voters are near the the you know the end not meaning the last week but but the 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 kind of the last quarter of the campaign fiscal year but the work particularly of volunteers and organizational stuff should always start early because the more time you got the more you can do totally agree well brad listen uh thank you for joining us uh, like i said if you're a reporter listening to this and you've heard that brad's not going to attack republicans anymore you know that he's uh <laughs> He didn't he's, quite say that. He's spit-shining his resume to be a future OMB director. Brad, thank you yeah. for uh, for your time today. It was uh, uh, just personally, it's good to see you, and uh, I'm ready to go fishing again. Hey, well, look, I'm ready to go, too. Let me just say it was good to be here. I mean, y'all are not Barack Obama and Bruce Springsteen, but, you know, for this, um, for this, you know, for this, y'all, will, you will do. So thank you. It was, real, it was a real honor. Well, it was a pleasure for me. I learned something, like always, and I had the rarest of experiences in the modern Democratic Party. I got to listen to Southern white guys with a twang. So when, you, when, you're, when you're coming back, yes. then we Republicans are in trouble. So uh, we there better get to reforming the Republican Party. Two-thirds of the Southern Democratic Party is here today. So we can start beating you all again. (laughs) Anyway, uh, thanks a lot, Brad. It was a pleasure to have you on. It's always good to talk to you. Murphy, I didn't mean to drag you down on that pitch, man. I'm I'm for you signing up for a lot of people. Oh, believe me. No, no, no. It um, there ought to be like a, a chamber of commerce pamphlet on hiring a political consultant. Don't get me started again. All right, guys, thank you so thank much. You. We'll be back next week. Thanks, guys.